0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Petrone. What a big day in America today, Election Day. I have been voting for president, I'm almost ashamed to say this, since 1956. Eisenhower-Stevenson was my first presidential vote. And I haven't missed one since. I voted today here in Florida, here in Key West, uh, for president and the other races. And I, I thought I sensed something unusual. Uh, we were at a new fire station on Stock Island. And there was a, not a great crowd. There were 20 stalls. You know, you, you, you go with your paper and check things off. But none of them were ever empty. It was a steady movement throughout And I noticed that people came in there with determination, like they had a job to do. And they went up with authority. They got their paperwork. They went into their stall. They did what they had to do, voted for who they liked, handed their paperwork in, and walked out with a sense of satisfaction on their faces. It was different today. Now, I'm not quite sure what this means, because we live in a divided country. Trump can win. And just before the show went on, as many of you are doing, I am checking the results on television. And Florida's key again, and Trump is leading in Florida. It's a close one. He's ahead by one or two points, but he's leading in Florida. So I don't know. I voted for Hillary. I think the country's in trouble with Trump. Uh, I can't believe the people would elect Trump. We're in the change. We're in the throes of change in this country like we have never been before in, in, modern, in modern times. Uh, and this I poof, I don't know. It, it would blow me out if he won. Uh, it's possible, it's conceivable. Uh, it would be a great disappointment, and I think it would be bad for our country. Now, half of you will agree with me, and half of you won't. So that's all I have to say about election days. I want to talk to you now very briefly about the ballot you cast. Do you notice every time you have gone to vote, I'm 81 years old, so there are a few of you who are older than me, but all of us, even those in our 80s, all the time, all the years we have voted, it's been by secret ballot. No one knows who you vote for, and... People think this is a sacred thing. It's part of our democracy, and it's no one's business who we vote for. Well, let me tell you, it wasn't always this way. Follow me. This is not a sacred right, a secret ballot. It's not a democratic right, and it has not always been this way. From colonial times into the 1880s, I repeat, from colonial times into the 1880s, your vote was open public, done orally, uh, platform, town square, people all around, sometimes hundreds. They're, They're drinking, they're dancing, they're drunk, they're heckling, they're brawling, and you go up and you say, I vote for Tom Jones, and then there's a clerk to record it. Open and public, no question about it, and this is the way Washington, Jefferson, And Lincoln were elected. It didn't exist. Then, as we got into the 1880s, they said, well, you know, maybe we should mark it down on a piece of paper so no one knows. And they started. It was not as secret then as it is today. Just wanted to share with you, it wasn't always a secret ballot. Now, the Russians have been screwing around with this election with the Internet and the computers and everything else. Uh, especially on the Democratic side. It seems to be generally acknowledged, admitted, uh, by our people in Washington, excuse me, our computer people and our military people. Uh, The United States government has hackers, too. They're all in the military. We have military hackers. And they are ready to hit back if Russia screws around with our returns today uh, via the computer, if they hack into the computer and disrupt our election. They're prepared to penetrate Russia's electric grid, telecommunication networks, and the Kremlin's command systems immediately if they find something is wrong in swift retaliation. It's interesting. Uh, and we should. If they hit us, we got to hit them. But it's interesting from you know bows and arrows to slingshot, slingshots to bows and arrows, to guns, Uh, to bombs, and now cyber wars. Absolutely amazing. I want to talk about something that that bugs me, Uh, and it's that our government fails to see that, which is I'm talking about Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, everybody. We rarely see what is, and what do I mean by this? We don't have that many good-paying jobs in this country today. We do not have a middle class. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Good-paying jobs are out the window. But there still are. There still are a few good jobs in this country, middle-class jobs. And one is driving a tractor trailer, big trucks. Those guys get $70,000 to $100,000 a year. They're still middle class with that kind of money. All right. Well, here's what's happening. Uh, and let me start this way. I remember back in the late 40s when the Northeast, including upstate New York, uh, were cotton mills. They made underwear, clothes, pants, blouses, etc. And that was the industry. And that's what everyone worked at in several states. All of a sudden in the late 1940s, they, these plants, these companies moved south because the southern states uh, had minimum wages less than, okay, than uh, the northern states. Well, I saw what happened in my hometown of Utica. I was in high school uh, as we got along into this, and then uh, I was in college. I came back after law school, practiced there for my whole life, so to speak, and nothing ever changed, because when the cotton mills left, The people just sat sat back and said, we're working in those cotton mills, which was the sole source of income in a community, and said, as well as the city fathers, the elected mayor and everybody else, they'll come back. It'll never work. Well, they sat on their asses, the people and the elected officials in these states, okay, from the late 1940s to today, some people my age are still waiting for the cotton mills to come back. And what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to suggest to you, or what I'm saying very positively, is some things are on the horizon where we are going to lose jobs. We know we're going to lose jobs in these particular industries, if I may call them that. The government knows it, and you and I know it. But no one's doing anything about it. No one's, what are we going to do with that workforce that's now going to be unemployed? What are they going to do? How are we going to retrain them? How are we going to get new businesses and industries into their area? It wasn't a topic of conversation during the presidential campaign. It wasn't even on the list of things to talk about. Because here's what's happening, and listen to me, those uh, tractor-trailer drivers, Cross country, seventy thousand a hundred thousand dollars a year are out of business in two to four years for the last two years. we have been experimenting with driverless tractor trailers just this past week, one of them went hundred and seventy miles all alone. They had it fell in the in the back in case something went wrong, but nothing went wrong. It stopped for lights, it passed, et cetera, et cetera. This is what's coming. Because it's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper for companies to transport without having to pay the drivers, the last of the middle class, seventy dollars to $100,000 a year when they can just use driverless vehicles. And this is going to come down and affect cab drivers and people like that. Think about it. And it's coming. It's two to four years away. And who, what's the other business? And this is going to blow you out. They are projecting that in 18 months, when you go through a McDonald's drive-thru and you get your cheeseburger and your fries and you pay your money, a robot is going to service you, not a person, not a human being, a robot. And the McDonald's and all these type companies who have low-paying employees are going to get rid of most of those employees because they can buy and or hire robots to do the work cheaper. What's Lewis saying? No one's thinking about this. This is around the corner, two to four years with the tractor-trailer drivers, 18 months with the McDonald's people. Where have you heard it discussed? Nowhere. We don't look ahead recognize that which is coming and prepare for it before it hits you know if a hurricane's going to come we get ready for it we either get out we we cover our buildings and our windows uh we go to the grocery store and we buy all kinds of foods that'll last us three four five days uh we don't do anything about jobs we're going to lose though i want to talk about james comey for a moment the director of the fbi I think the guy's honest. I've always recognized him as honest in his career. But as I have been saying ever since uh, he came out and said initially he wasn't going to charge Hillary, uh, and then went on to explain it out infinitum, which he was not required to do, which was not done and has not been done for I don't know how many years, uh, a, process, a, a someone like him, Number one, he's the investigator. He's not the prosecutor. He reports to justice. He's like the police department who reports to a state attorney or a district attorney. And they say there's either, and it's up to the justice department, say sufficient evidence or insufficient evidence to prosecute, period. Period. Nothing else, no explanations. So he made the mistake with Congress of offering all these explanations. Then he sends out this letter, what, eight days, nine days before the election, saying, oh, we found 650,000 more emails, the Weiner emails, but Hillary might be involved in this. And he sends eight letters out to committee chairman of the Congress saying, just discovered this, and I want to make you aware. I don't know if there's anything here. We're just making you aware. We're investigating this matter further. None of Congress's business at that point. Not a, Even though he promised them he'd get back to him if anything came up, it was a promise he never should have made, so he didn't have to abide by it. And then what happens, what, two days ago? He sends out another letter to the congressional leaders, and he says, no evidence to indicate any wrongdoing on the part of Hillary Clinton. We've gone through all the emails. Well, The man is straight, as I see it. The man is honest, but he lacks judgment, practical judgment, proper judgment. And I think he should resign. He can't be fired, no matter who's president, cannot fire him. He, in effect, is appointed for a number of years. He has a 10-year appointment. I believe he has three years left on the job. Uh, If he's the man of character he is, he should resign from the position. He'll be well taken care of. He'll get a job with a big corporation making about $4 million a year, and I'm not exaggerating, $4 million a year to start. Or if I was the next, I'll tell you right now, <laughs> if I was president, I'd appoint him to a federal judgeship someplace in Timbuktu so he could not be a problem to anyone. Let him sit on the bench the rest of his life and exalt himself in that position. He doesn't belong any longer as the head of the FBI. I live in in Key West. I live in the Florida Keys. We who live here love the Florida Keys. It grows on you, my friends. Those of you who haven't visited should visit. It's, It's different. It's unique. We're a different part of America. We're an island sitting out there, okay? And we just don't live the same way, and people aren't the same down here as they were up north where I lived or in my travels across the country. Now, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Something just came up in the last two weeks. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you recall, was paralyzed. Uh, I think it was 1921 when paralysis hit his legs. Uh, His doctors thought in 1924 that if he had warm air and warm water. It would help his condition. So in 1924, he and a friend by the name of John Lawrence bought a 71-foot houseboat, Yep, 71-foot houseboat, fixed it up, and brought it down to the Florida Keys. And the two winters between 1924 and 1926, FDR and John Lawrence Uh, They sailed or made their way through the Keys. It isn't hard to get through the Keys down there. And they fished, and they swam. Swimming for him was they would go to shallow water and just sit him down in the water in a bathing suit, uh, and he would smile and talk to someone on the boat. But he spent two winter seasons here on the houseboat in the Florida Keys, I never knew about it, and I don't know how many people knew about it, how many people knew in this country or know even now in this country. The houseboat they named La Oca, L-A-R-O-O-C-A, L-A-R-O-O-C-A. And La Oca was forgotten, an FDR's trip to the Florida Keys, until a woman by the name of Karen Chase, she's an historian, and she was going through some papers of FDR, and she came across a book. And it was a handwritten book, and the cover said, La Roca, log. If you're on a boat, the captain keeps a log. Assu- I'm assuming FDR was the captain on the houseboat. He wrote La Roca log, and he had a day-by-day. Day by day, the contents were of his experience and activities on that houseboat for two winter seasons. What a find, okay? The book came out for sale for the first time uh, two days ago. Two days ago at Hyde Park, New York, FDR's residence at one initial residence. The family stayed at Hyde Park. Uh, and she, she titled the book, it's a long title, F.D.R. on his houseboat, the La Roca log, 1924-1926. Interesting that we have found this out. I can't wait to read the book. Some of you may want to uh, look it up and trace it through the Internet. This I don't like that I'm going to share with you, Uh, whether if Donald Trump wins tonight, he's our president. I don't trust him. You don't trust Hillary. I don't trust Trump. I I think he's a bully and a dictator, and it's the first step to him becoming perhaps a dictator in this country. You can laugh at me. That's how I feel. Uh, Having said this, it bothers me. One of the things that bothers me about uh, Trump is that he is talking about Putin and such Friendly terms, nice terms, I don't know why, he says he never met him, I think he's doing business with Russian banks. And let me tell you, Putin owns a piece of everything in Russia. He is worth approximately $40 billion today. No one does business of consequence in Russia without him getting a piece of the action. Okay? Now, Steven Seagal. Do you remember Steven Seagal? He's still out there. Steven Seagal, uh, he was a good guy. He made movies uh, in the 1980s and up until 2002 uh, where he was an investigator of sorts. He was for America. He was for goodness. He was for light. He was apple pie. He was the American flag. His character was that of Superman. And he went to communities, and if there were corrupt people and evil people, he got rid of them. He was a good man. I'll tell you something. I love or have loved up until the last couple of days his movies that are rerun on television. I always watch him because he's goodness personified. Well, two days ago, you're going to love this. I'm sorry, not two days ago, last Thursday, uh, Putin signed a decree granting Russian citizenship to our hero, Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal now has Russian citizenship. I'm sure he has dual citizenship. He retained his American citizenship. However, it blows me out that he would take Russian citizenship. The The material on it says that he sought out uh, a citizenship in Russia. He and Putin have become friends over the past several years. All right, uh, and they they vis- he visits Russia a lot uh, to be with Putin. Okay, uh, what else did Siegel do in this regard? So it all comes together. In 2014, when Russia annexed or invaded Crimea, remember the Ukraine? Siegel defended. Putin's position and Russia's position, he thought it was the right thing for Russia to do, okay? He has warm feelings towards Russia. The other thing that I haven't liked about him is that he's a good friend of Arizona's uh, Marsacopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I pronounced his name wrong, Joe Arpaio. Uh, you know that sheriff that 's always in trouble he 's going to take everyone and he's going to all these people that came from Mexico and he 's going to throw them back over the borders he doesn 't care how many kids they have or how long they 've been here, or what have you. This is the same sheriff who recently has been indicted for by the federal government for civil rights violations well when this when the sheriff was charged each time, Steven Seagal publicly stood with him and said he 's my friend he 's innocent. He also Segal also joined the sheriff's citizens group. He became an honorary sheriff in Marseille, Copa County, and then on top of that, he he graduated to being a reserve deputy sheriff. The man likes to wear the badge; he's goodness and light, and he started ri- riding around with the sheriff's deputies in their automobiles. Uh, I don't know, I. I, I it bothers me that a man that many people in this country would respect—I mean, I thought he was great. He's he's a hero. He's a good guy, uh, and he's not a good guy in the end. And he's standing with the what I consider are the wrong people. Thought you should know. Now we're going to Saudi Arabia. I love Saudi Arabia. Remember, they gave us four dollars a gallon gasoline. 17 of the 21 terrorists involved with 9-11, 17 were citizens of Saudi Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia's got a lot of money. they got a lot of oil. Uh, but they want everybody to love them. They want to be loved. And in this country, they're not as loved as much today as they were maybe five years ago. There have been some recent incidents. Uh, Saudi Arabia's gone to war with Yemen. They blockaded Yemen, and the, the toll of lives, I'm sorry, humanitarian toll is dramatic there. People in this country who are involved in this stuff hold it against Saudi Arabia. Then, remember there was a group that did a study of 9-11 and issued their report on what happened and who did it and why? There were 28 pages, do you recall, that never came out until till maybe three or four months ago. They were blocked out. Couldn't, the people of America could not see these 28 pages. Obama, finally, with a lot of pressure on him, because he didn't want to release it either, released those 28 pages. I read them. I didn't think they said that much or implicated that much, but a lot of people do. So now that's out there. Now we've got two reasons. You've got Yemen, and you've got the 28 pages working against Saudi Arabia. Now comes out, now comes out, the law that was passed uh, in September, which permits, it's called, first let me tell you what it's called, the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. What it does is permits family members and victims of 9-11 to sue Saudi Arabia directly in American courts. And Saudi Arabia's got a lot of businesses and money in American banks. So if someone gets a judgment, they're going to get paid. They'll be able to attach that money quickly. Saudi Arabia fought against this. Obama, the only bill Obama's vetoed in eight years was this bill. But Congress overrode overrode his veto. It is the law of the land today. And they are are very worried about this, the Saudi Arabians, that they're going to get sued like hell and it's going to cost them money. So what have they done? They always had a strong lobbying group in Washington. Their lobbying group is now called an armada. It has gotten bigger. uh, And they're targeting new people. Uh, In September, there was a surge and they added 10, t- 10 more uh, lobbying groups to their payroll. And then in October, it went to 14. I've told you why they're doing this, because they're, they're pub- it's a public relations move. They don't want the people of this country to dislike them. Do you know we give them every year $40 billion? Now, you, we've been doing this for years. You tell me why we pay them one penny when they have all this money on their own with their oil reserves. It doesn't make sense to me. But yet we've been kissing their asses because they're a leader in the Middle East and we wanted the oil. And the first time they had an opportunity to shove it up our butts, excuse the way I'm saying it, they gave us $4 a gallon gasoline and did not care. Beware. give you quickly a Venezuela update. Uh, Maduro, you know, he's been president for three years. I've been following him. I've been talking about him. I've been writing about him for three years. I don't know how the man is still in office. The people ran out of food. They ate their pets. They ate the zoo animals. They only eat every two or three days now. Babies are going hungry. Everybody's getting skinny uh, except Maduro and his people. The people don't revolt. Uh, The reason is Maduro is backed by the military. And he's also backed by the Supreme Court. The National Assembly is the opposition, legislators uh, who have been voted into office. But they can't do anything because the Supreme Court always overrides them. That's why there has to be a revolution. I don't see how it's avoided. I don't see why it hasn't taken place yet. Uh, Make a long story short, uh, Maduro was in the Middle East. He stopped in Rome about 10 days ago, visited with the Pope pope said my son of vatican representative he'll conciliate and mediate the whole thing this meeting took place last sunday night in venezuela both the the opposition was waiting maduro was late by two or three hours for the meeting when he came in he went up shook hands with the opposition smiled for the cameras and walked out never negotiated anything uh that the Vatican's participation was a failure. I think they should never have gotten involved, period. They belong in the church and not in politics. Be that as it may, this week Congress was going to start, the National Assembly was going to start trying him to, on criminal charges to remove him from office, even though it wouldn't do any good legally. Uh, and also, there was either tomorrow or Thursday there's a massive demonstration at which listen to me, hundreds of thousands of people are going to participate. They have big big protest demonstrations uh, well, he said no let's let 's make a deal, Maduro yesterday, and the deal was he would let four people out of jail who were political activists with the opposition, uh, and they said no. His opponent said, what the hell are you giving us? We want 100 released immediately. He said, well, in a few months, maybe. Now, we want them released now, and we want to have a vote now, in the next month or two, because no vote is scheduled again for the presidency till late 2018. Maduro says no. Now, I don't know where this whole thing's going to go. Things are going to happen this week again. At some point, and I've been saying this now for two years, there has to be a revolution. So far, nothing. Maduro keeps coming out ahead. Uh, Let me tell you quickly a reason that I think uh, we are at war in Syria. Notice, Russia and Iran and Assad and al-Qaeda, they stand against us, okay? And it's us and the Sunnis, the good Sunnis, okay, Uh, who are in opposition, uh, and we're sort of fighting each other over there without fighting each other. And the poor people are getting killed in Syria, and look what they've done to, to Europe by their immigrants running out. Why is everybody fighting so hard? Why are Iran and Russia tied together in this thing? Why is the United States standing not with them, against them, saying, no, we've got to do it another way? Very simply, it's oil and gas. Russia has huge supplies of oil and gas. They need to put their pipelines, and so does Iran, through Syria in order to supply their big market, which is Europe. The United States, we don't want to put our pipelines in, but our people are bought. Halliburton, the company that Cheney was CEO of before he became vice president, one of the – they're whores. They're making a shitload of money off our country. They want to put a pipeline through for American companies like Exxon. So we're over there fighting. Our people are getting killed. So we can, in the end, negotiate a piece of property so pipelines can go through there for our companies as opposed to the Russians and the Syrians. It's all about money, and no one talks about this. Thank you for joining me. Next week we'll know who became president today. Uh, I enjoy sharing my thoughts with you. Uh, You don't have to agree with me. I thank you for your comments, and I thank you again. This show gets bigger and bigger every week. The numbers are getting crazy. I love it. I love it. Uh, I know most of you will read it. I'm on the archive version. Good. I write a blog every morning, keywestloo.com. Read it once or twice. You may enjoy it and follow it. Thank you again. I have to run. Time is gone.